Hey, Kyle here. We made it. Can you believe it? We are finally at the end of Colossians. We have made it to Colossians chapter 4, and we are wrapping up our Embodied series today. We've been working through this series for almost a full year now. We've taken a couple breaks here or there, but we are here at the conclusion of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. In today's passage, we see that Paul's words aren't some empty words out into the universe, but they're from real people in a real time, in a real place, to real people in a real place. The whole premise of this section of Colossians is live as the kind of human you will become. If we trace the thought through Colossians up until this point, even into the conclusion of the letter today, we see that Paul has said that Christ has made himself known to us. And that we should live our life in such a way that it is centered on Jesus. And when our life is centered on Jesus, we begin to experience a change in our character and priorities. In fact, we embody the risen Jesus. And that's what we've seen, that principle applied throughout Colossians chapter 3 and now into Colossians chapter 4. Paul reshaped the most basic human institution, the Roman household, all around the self-giving love of Jesus. To the point, it's almost beyond recognition. And that thought doesn't stop with that section in Colossians 3. He begins to apply that to real people in a real time and in a real place. And we see some of that applied as he lists off specific individuals who are both with him as he is in prison and those who are carrying the letter back to the church in Colossae. And so that's very common is the letters that are written to churches from Paul would have been carried and read aloud because most people wouldn't have been able to read in the first century. And so people would have sat in a gathering and listened to this letter read. And in fact, we see in this letter that this letter is also to be read to other churches in other communities as well. But we'll get to that in a moment. Paul applies his words to real people. And we have to look at our own lives against Paul's words and see if our lives are moving in the direction of Christ's likeness. And like I said, we'll, we'll get to that and how Paul also wanted this letter to be read into other communities. But let's take a look at some of the people that Paul mentioned. First we have is Tychicus. So I hope whoever read scripture today got that right. And actually you can't really get it wrong because I think we all butcher these names at some level. So no pressure. Whenever you read your Bible and you come across names like this, it's okay that we sometimes say them right or butcher them or aren't completely sure how to say them at all. Just gives a little fun. So we can call this guy Ty. His purpose was to bring an update about Paul and encourage the church in Colossae. Paul was in prison. Now remember, prisons in the first century were not like our prisons of today. Those who were in prison were responsible for their own care while awaiting trial. 
Paul had to rely on others. So he was relying on other churches and other members of his entourage to care for him, to, to provide food, to provide a level of clothing and care while he awaited trial. He had to have a level of care and Christian community around him. And he was there for the, because he had preached the name of Jesus. Another person that we see is Onesimus. The Thai guy was accompanied by Onesimus. He, and Onesimus was a former slave, and he was a Colossian Christian. It was a former slave of the Colossian Christian Philemon. And what's fascinating is we don't know when Onesimus becomes a Christian. Paul says that, that Onesimus was a dear brother with him there in prison. So maybe Onesimus became a Christian with Paul while Paul was in prison. And as Paul sends Onesimus actually back to the church of Colossae, back to his master Philemon, what we need to understand is that Onesimus' return, Philemon had every right to imprison Onesimus. But Paul asks the whole church to greet Onesimus as a faithful and beloved brother in the Lord. Just because Philemon had the right to imprison Onesimus doesn't mean imprisoning Onesimus was right. There was a cultural framework that is reshaped by Jesus in Colossae. And Gen Church, let's not give in to the pressure to divide and assert a certain set of rights above a commitment to Jesus. And we see in Paul's encouragement to Philemon, and then he even writes a letter to Philemon. And I would encourage you to go read that. And Paul's saying, hey, accept Onesimus as a beloved brother. I know that you have certain rights, but set those rights aside for the sake of your brother in Christ. Paul also mentioned that he's accompanied there with Mark and he is to extend his greetings. Mark is one guy who's an interesting guy in scripture. He actually writes the account of Jesus' life that we know as the gospel of Mark. We also know that he abandoned Paul on one of his journeys in visiting different cities and starting new churches. But at this point when Colossians is being written, he's likely having been reconciled. So when Paul talks about forgiveness and being reconciled with another, here is someone who abandoned Paul in the middle of a journey. When the pressures were surrounding him, Mark abandoned Paul. But Paul has welcomed Mark back as a dearly beloved co-worker in Christ. We also see that with Paul is Epaphras. And Epaphras is living out devotion to prayer. And he's praying so that this church can be mature. And I love what Paul says here. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Christ Jesus, he greets you. He's always contending for you in his prayer. So it's not just like ancillary prayers on the margin. He's, he's contending for this church so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. See, the Colossian church, was started because of Epaphras. Paul invested his life into Epaphras. And Epaphras took that good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and then started this church in Colossae. And so Epaphras knows that just because he isn't present with him doesn't mean their spiritual growth has ceased or should stop. But he wants them to continue to grow into maturity, which is why Paul has written this letter to them. And that's why we as a church have journeyed through this letter 
Because we know as a young church, we can face a lot of different pressures from our world. We can potentially be swayed one way or another. But ultimately, we need to remember that God has made himself known through Jesus. And that we should continue to return to Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and his return again and again. And should, our character priorities should be shaped by that. We also see that Luke is with Paul. Luke is the, the writer of the gospel account of Luke, which is just an account of Jesus' life. And he's also the writer of Acts. And Luke joins Paul on his journey at some point. And he, he investigated the life of Jesus. He, he saw some eyewitnesses. And we also know that he experienced Paul's hardships firsthand as a companion on his journeys. And we also see that there's another person, Demas. And what's fascinating about Demas is at the time of this writing, he is with Paul. And Paul speaks of him. But later on, we read in one of the later letters of Paul that Demas walks away from the faith because he loves the world more than Jesus. We see that he places thoughts and philosophies from the world. Maybe it's riches. We don't know entirely for sure, but he loves the world more than Jesus. And what's interesting is as Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae, Paul actually addresses the pressures that they will face and that they need to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he has done. Go back and listen to some of those messages of Colossians chapter 2 as we talked about these, these false teachers trying to basically get this church to acquiesce to external rules and regulations that had nothing to do with faith in Jesus. And in fact, how faith in Jesus changes us internally, it should then produce an external result. It's not these external works that then drive the internal change, but we know that it's easy to fall into the trap and believe the lie that we should do things externally because we can see them, we can feel them, we can touch them, and that will give us a sense of, of pride or accomplishment. And Paul says that again and again we must return and remember that we are first raised with Jesus. It is he who brings us new life. It is not exterior works that bring new life. And so Paul breaks down this closing letter with relationships with real people. And he says that some need to hear encouragement. Some need to be confronted as he has done in this letter. Others need to be directed back to why they are following Jesus to begin with. His letter is not in isolation. There's more to share than what this letter provides, and Paul alludes to that here in the closing verses. And let me say this, this is one of the reasons that both John and I push to have conversations with people in person about difficult subjects. The best practice to help you and me be formed into Christ-likeness is through reading our word, reading the Bible together, and then discussing it in conversation with others to listen to one another and see how we are interpreting that and allow the Holy Spirit to work on each of our hearts to bring us to a point of more Christ-likeness. 
And we take seriously having spiritual conversations with others face to face. So if you are someone who has questions about what it looks like to follow Jesus, or you have questions about difficult passages in the Bible, please reach out to us. We would love to answer those questions. You don't have to know it all. In fact, I find it sometimes very refreshing when someone approaches Bible text as if they don't know very much at all and allow that, that, that Bible text to be seen with fresh eyes. Because as we approach the Bible and say, Lord, change me through your word and through your Holy Spirit, we see growth in our life. And if you ask any of our team leaders around Generations Church, we take conversations and specifically spiritual conversations very seriously. In fact, our number one goal for our team leaders and those who are in leadership around Generations Church is the amount of spiritual conversations they are having. It doesn't take much to post something on social media or to talk to the weather with another person. But everything we must say at, with another person at Gen Church needs to be at some point reunited and pointed to Jesus. And so spiritual conversations for us are things that may start with the universe or Jesus or an invitation to church. But ultimately, we want to have that conversation. We want to have many conversations about Jesus and exploring what it looks like to follow in him and engage in what it looks like to engage with a church family that's committed to expanding God's family. So therefore, even in our conversations with others, we must be able to trace our actions back to Jesus. We want because of Jesus to be more than a nice little slogan that we say in our vision. But we want every single believer, and we start with those in leadership, to be able to trace their actions and trace their conversations, to be able to say, we do this, we are doing this individually, and corporately as a church because of Jesus. And so let me take a moment to share how God has been at work even in the last couple of months. We have had an explosion of spiritual conversations with others. Yes, there's been a level of stay home, stay healthy. Yes, we, we, there's only been going out into phase two within recently heading into phase three. But God has been at work. He has been working on the hearts and minds of real people in a real time, in a real place. And so over the last several weeks, I've had the pleasure of meeting with several different people. And in each and every conversation, they've oscillated from tiredness to a desire to fight for change. And let me reiterate what I'm about to share. I'm going to share some of the questions that they have asked me in these conversations. These are real questions from conversations with those who aren't followers of Jesus. See, when we talk about spiritual conversations with others, we want it to be not a church function. We want it to be every day. Maybe it's going to a coffee shop, walking into uh, a store. And, and if you feel like, oh, I'm not having a level of spiritual conversations, well, guess what? We want to equip you to be able to live your faith every day and to be able to simply live and as you go, have conversations with others. And as you get into those conversations, be able to point people towards Jesus or towards the church family. And so here are some of the questions that I've been asked in some several conversations over the last couple of weeks. How dark was Jesus 
it never occurred to me he likely didn't look like me. How do I communicate all lives are precious to God without undermining the real need for systemic change? Is there something I could say where the political polarity of both sides wouldn't shame me? If I begin to follow Jesus, will I be just as angry on social media as other Christians? That question floored me. That was someone who's not a follower of Jesus. And as they looked out into the culture at large, not necessarily naming a specific individual or group of people, they just felt like the tone and tenor of Christians right now was very angry. And they didn't know what to make of it. And it was a beautiful conversation. And let me take you into this conversation a little bit. I was able to share how one angry Christian doesn't represent the whole. In fact, we have two values at Generations Church, one called progress over perfection and two, story over sin. I'll address the second first. As I, just as I was doing with them, sitting down and listening to their story, listening to the other person comes before any determination of wrongdoing. We value story over sin getting to know someone and their backstory and what has shaped their thoughts and their worldview before we size them up or write them off. And in fact, we don't do that because that's not what God has done for us. But we can identify sin in our lives and admit a need for change. But story over sin. And then to the first value I mentioned, progress over perfection. I don't expect that a person to be perfect. I don't expect Christians to be perfect, but given enough time following Jesus, there should be change. It's not always the change to make them more like me, but change that there is a better picture of Jesus through their character and priorities. And I was able to have this conversation where I pointed to both those values and said, listen, it's unfair to expect them to be perfect. But I do think as you get to know them and their story, if there is a person that you're thinking of in particular, then maybe as you begin to go on the journey of yourself following Jesus and exploring what that looks like, that you're able to change your internally, that shows up externally. And then as you go on that journey and encourage them, maybe to even do the same, that you will see a change in them. And I was even able to give a quick example of what this might look like from the embodied series that we have been looking at. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 that we should put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language, and instead put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has complaint against one another. And how when we take those words, they begin to apply to direct relationships. And so in that conversation, as I shared those words, the person began to internalize what that actually meant. It meant that as they would get to know that other person or someone that they were thinking of, they didn't say in particular who they were thinking of. Or if it was just that culture kind of in general that they've noticed through social media. But if they're able to sit down and have a conversation with a real person, that even if they disagree or if that person wrongs them in some way or says something that offends them, that to follow Jesus means that we forgive and that we choose gentleness and humility instead of wrath, malice, and slander. 
right now in our cultural moment, we have many moving parts. I, like you, are probably tired and frustrated at times, oscillating between loneliness and the hope of being able to see people in person again. As we read stories about COVID-19 and masks, calls for justice, anti-authoritarian sentiments, a coming political election to which many people have pledged their allegiance to. And in the midst of all this, what I found myself returning to again and again, and what I would encourage you as we close this series to return to again, is Jesus. When you find yourself frustrated, lonely, angry, return to Jesus. Because he will make himself known to you through his word. And he may challenge you to change some things in your life, to change some of your actions and reactions. He may comfort you and he will comfort you in your time of need. And he will also, I think, move us as a church to come around and rally around each other because we believe being part of God's family is the best family to be a part of so that we can lock arms with one another and say, I know we are from different stories, from different backgrounds. I know we believe different things politically. I know, I know as we interact with people on social media that, that we think different things. I know that as we sit down in conversations, we go, I think that person is just wrong. But at the end of the day, we go from facing at each other and wanting to fight with each other to fighting for each other and fighting for the cause of Jesus. When we are centered on Jesus, we will actively put away and we will actively put on Jesus. These commands by Paul to the Colossian Christians correlate directly to us at Generations Church. And so let me ask you, as I set up these, this call for relational connection, and this desire to fight for each other. Who have you personally connected with in the last week? Not around a ministry of Generations Church. Not around something uh, that is, is maybe even overly spiritual. But who is someone in your life who you have reached out to and done something with or, or just called to encourage Paul is at a distance with this church in Colossae, yet he still wants them to know that he is thinking about them, that he is praying for them, and he wants to intercede to God for them. See, no part of human existence is, goes untouched by the loving and liberating rule of Jesus. Whether it's our suffering, our temptation to compromise, our moral character, the power dynamics in our homes, our whole life should be affected by the self-giving love of Jesus. And we are invited to live in the present as if the new creation arrived when Jesus rose from the dead. And here's the good news. We all get it wrong. The most freeing part of following Jesus and one of the most difficult parts of following Jesus is saying, I was wrong and I get it wrong. We place all kinds of mechanisms in our life to keep us from admitting when we are wrong. 
We create relational distance. We find voices and memes to justify our positions. We make comments with others to get praise, to make us feel better, and release dopamine in our brains because we like likes, we like attaboys, we like pats on the back. But today, you can come to Jesus and look at your life. Admit where you haven't been following the way of Jesus and then take a step and reach out to someone else because you're not alone. And when individuals who make up a church repent and turn to Jesus, the watching world will take notice. We at Generations can freely acknowledge that we are a community of everyday people who don't always get it right but are committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus and the work that he has done in our life for generations to come. Will you join us on this endeavor?